This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. minutes past nine you are tuned to 102.7 3 triple r fm and this is radio marinara we are the program about all things wet and salty my name is bron burton and i'm john ford hi john hey bron how are you i'm doing really well great back in the studio it's been a few weeks for me yeah i don't yeah. think you and i've seen each other for at least a month or more yeah maybe wow. don't worry i've been in the water been out on boats oh, good. i've been things lots to report i'm living my underwater life vicariously through <laughs> you you know that don't I'm you i'm more so probably more so through terry i think terry um allen who will be on the show our dive she reporter will. will be on later on the show probably gets in the water more than i do nowadays but uh, oh she's always zooming off to somewhere very fancy overseas and warm so she's just come back from a trip again mm-hmm. <laughs> i keep yeah yeah she yeah <laughs> has a great time. Um, and thank you very much to Tim and Namilla and Monique. How fabulous to see Monique. Well, well, for us to see, for you to hear, but for us to hear as well. We're just saying she needs to do a segue and in, in, in intro and we'll do our intro theme, yeah. her very variation on our intro theme and bring us into the show one I think day. It's a great I think, idea. I think we'll put that out there. Yeah, a bit jazzed up. Yeah. <laughs> So wonderful. Just up pirate music. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. Let's see where she goes with that. <laughs> 
So we have a very big show today, and um, we are going to. There's been all kinds of news happening during the week, so we're going to summarise that. Um, big news, big news. And John, you've just come back from Sydney. I have. I just come back from the Australian Society of Fish Biology Conference, um, which is about more than just fish biology. It's about sort of um, fish and management more more broadly in the coastal environment. And yeah, just sort of give, giving a little bit of an overview of where we're going in terms of um, fish and coastal management, or where things seem to go in the sort of the science side of things. So. Yeah. yeah, I'll be talking a bit about that. Great, and I'm really interested to hear what fish scientists uh, are studying at the moment. Yeah. What, where's, where is the where is the focus? How much of it is applied? How much of it is pure? Mm-hmm. Are we kind of moving away from pure sciences? Is that funding related? Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot here because we haven't talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm figuring you've got a bit of an idea given that you've just come back from... And this is a national conference, yeah, isn't it? it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I've yeah. um, got some news too, um, big news about Carmichael uh, Mine, obviously. I'm sure everyone listening knows about what's happened there, but we'll just kind of summarise it briefly. And, uh, and Sea Shepherd have got some really big news that they've come out with during the week a couple of big press releases. We were hoping to get them on. Um, it wasn't possible today, but we'll get them on in the next couple of weeks. And Coast Care Awards uh, were announced this week as well, which is great. So we might, we'll go through those if we have time. <laughs> and then we've got a, show. a massive back, back half of the show. That's right. We'll, we'll cross to Terry for a quick dive report. Um, she's actually going diving today, so but she's managed to squeeze us in for five minutes, which is great. And then, uh, yes, back half of the show. Now, if you... Um, Listen every week, you'll remember back in July, and if you don't, that's fine. Uh, Albert Lee, who is a founder and board member for Scuba for Change, was in um, to talk to us about what they're doing. And to summarise it very briefly, we'll get him to kind of recap a little bit. They are, um, I think, well, I think he kind of kicked it all off. It's a Melbourne-based enterprise and initiative where they arrange for people to go on scuba holidays in the Philippines and all of they use kind of uh, local knowledge and people from the local communities to um, assist with this and all of the profits raised go straight back into the community and they're connected to a foundation called Stairway Foundation and this is all about working with um, children in the Philippines who are exploited and part of all sorts of trafficking and and prostitution a really awful situation so Absolutely wonderful work that Albert is doing. So we spoke about that in July. Albert has come back uh, along with Greg Foot Conley, who's also a board member for Scuba for Change. Um, but very exciting. They've actually brought in Lars um, Jorgensen, who is a founder of Stairway Foundation. And so we'll be talking about that a little bit more and also getting kind of more into the detail of what they do with their... Um, they have a program there called Sea Adventure, so we'll talk about that. Um, and then also to give some promotion to um, Big Fundraiser. Um, connected to some theatre this week. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of... It's a, it's a really... It's one of those little ripple stories yeah, where definitely. we kind of, you know, drop the, drop the little pebble in the pond and then out go the ripples and we're kind of exploring things in a bit more detail. And it's about people connecting with the ocean and then yes. doing good things from, from the, the profits that are made from that and that's really really great that's right yeah yeah and taking those good things into different spaces Mm -hmm. so really excited to talk about this today weather for today it's going to be 19 degrees hasn't it been weird during the week until what happened to spring everyone's saying it everyone's saying it straight into (laughs) summer it's like kind of you know those pools that have hot spas next to them and you kind of you get in the hot spa (laughs) and you kind of get acclimatized to that and then you jump in the cold pool (laughs) and then you go oh oh you get acclimatized to the cold pool and then you jump back in the hot spa yeah it's kind of been a bit like that Uh, morning cloud today mostly sunny afternoon 
afternoon, light winds becoming southerly up to 25 kilometres an hour in the early afternoon, then becoming light in the evening. Here we go. We're going to jump from 19 up to 27 tomorrow and sunny. 27 is beautiful, of course. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind perfect. of perfect. 27 people's idea. I've said it before. Well, yep. yeah. <laughs> 27 and sunny, lovely. 28 on Tuesday, so about the same, with some rain developing and then back down to 18 and then up in the high teens for the rest of the week and kind of showers here and there. Mm. So um, there you go. What yo-yoing with this weather? It's absolutely bizarre. The tide times for today, if you're doing something tidal-related, we always read the tides from the heads. It's going to be a low tide at 3 minutes to 10 and then heading to a high tide at 4.09 this afternoon, so slack tide somewhere in the middle. Around one, I guess, mm-hmm. about one o'clock at the heads. And uh, surf forecast if you're wanting to go out there and surf. Swell net say a strong, powerful westerly swell breaking across Victorian coast. Options are limited with a light to moderate south to southeast wind. Water temperature 15 degrees, so that's holding steady at the moment. Phillip Island, Cat Bay offering great conditions for more experienced surfers, 1.25 metre sets. Mornington Peninsula, large, wow, get this, 2.75 metre sets. <laughs> Nearly three metre surf across the beaches. That is big surf. Wow. Western Port will be better but bumpy. Surf Coast workable 1.5 metre waves across the beaches and reefs for keen surfers. Here endeth the weather report. 2.75 metres. Uh. That's a big... I don't think I've ever seen a number that big. Mm. Not reported in Swellnet in any way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in Hawaii. Yes. A couple of bits of news. Do you want to yeah, kick off? Yeah, look, um, uh, a little bit a bit of an update on the um, seafood labelling um, sort of discussions that have been going on. Um, these, the celebrity, well, he's not really a chef, and well, M- Matt Evans anyway, a gourmet farmer and so on and so, uh, so forth. For, um, foodie. Yeah, foodie guy. Um, has, uh, he has been driving for trying to get changes to seafood labelling laws, and I've spoken about this before, mm. to try to get um, country of origin labelling in particular, but also standard species names for fish um, and seafood uh, more generally um, at all levels so of the of the, of the supply chain. So basically at, at when it's fresh, but also when it's cooked. And that's a really big change in terms of try, when you go to a restaurant, it would have, you know, the actual species name and have to, well, the fish name, it would have to be that. And then also it would have to say whether it's imported or whether it's it's local. And so that's sort of what, the, what, what he's been campaigning for, the Label My Fish campaign, along with Greenpeace and a number of other other organisations. Anyway, he had a great petition, and I must say I, I signed this petition, uh, for 40, over 46,000 signatures. Oh. He took that to the parliament uh, in the last few days. Because what happened in August, the, uh, the bill was put up by uh, Senator Xenophon and the Greens and backed by a number of other kind of crossbenchers there and uh, it was voted down by both main parties. So both the Labor and the Liberal National Party voted that changes down and so now that sort of trying to get a little bit more public support for that. So um, if you are interested in that, and I, I think it's a good thing, particularly in terms of choosing uh, or having the ability to choose, particularly on cooked fish, um, cooked seafood, um, to know whether you want to choose whether it's local or whether it's imported and actually know what it is because having a, a standard species name, um, yeah, then still you can still support this campaign and I'm sure that um, they'll be doing more petitions and so on. So mm. That's really heartening and disappointing mm. all in the one all in the one all wrapped up in the one package I, it's just hats off to him for doing this yeah. and this is not over 
And, uh, yes, we're very passionate about that here on Radio Marinara yeah, as well. I think this needs to be flipped around too because the current situation is nothing... It's deceptive. I think this is how this needs to be looked at. So it's about people's rights to know exactly what it is that they're purchasing and consuming. Mm-hmm. And if, if the government's not prepared to support that, I think that needs to be how it's looked at. Yep. It's about keeping information rather than actually giving it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, John. Really quick one and then we're going to play some music. Um, and we mentioned just before, of course, the federal government's given mining giant Adani reapproval to build the massive Carmichael coal mine and what they've done is um, put 36 conditions on that but uh, this was announced a couple of days ago I think it was on Friday uh, so look there's been of course as we would expect um, universal outrage by green groups in particular it's not so much about the mine but what it means for the Great Barrier Reef because without this mine there was a, a loss of justification for the expansion of the port, uh, but now that that mine's been given the go-ahead, that justification uh, can be seen as being there, whether it's real or not is a whole other issue. So um, just a couple of quick uh, grabs from the McKay Conservation Group. They've been long challenging this project on environmental grounds. It was initially, I don't know if you remember um, if the, the details with this story, it was uh, knocked back on technical grounds and it related to a couple of key uh, land-based species. Um, But the federal government has now given it the go-ahead with some conditions around that. But the conservation groups are still saying it's it's not enough. Um, And a quote here from them that uh, Minister Hunt has failed the people of Australia by ignoring new evidence on devastating impacts of what would be Australia's largest coal mine. They're talking about the black-throated finch uh, and and also um, something that's not really talked about is to, in terms of groundwater and the impact that it will have on landholders and it, there's an estimate of billions of litres of water that will now be taken from groundwater resources for the operation of this mine. So, look, stay tuned on that one because this one's not over either. Mm-hmm. This is just another chapter. <laughs> and I think uh, a lot of us kind of had a, a sense back in um, when, when that decision was made uh, to stop it that that might not be the end. But it's just one of those games of... In, in, indeed. And, uh, look, we'll just have to see whether um, they even get the financial support to go ahead with it and really the, yes. the financial conditions. And it's, look, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, the government seems to be um, supportive of it, but um, it's always going to depend on whether it's going to be make money for the for the actual company. You're and absolutely right A lot about of questions that, around that. Absolutely right. And um, that's been another component to this mm. long story. This is Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Yeah, thanks, Bron. Look, um, I've just come back from the Australian Society of Fish Biology Conference in Sydney. And um, it's, there was a lot of a bit of pure science there. There's a lot of people who are very interested in, in you know, fish biology and that's what it's all about. But really the, the conference itself sort of, um, it's, it's got a lot of sort of more applied um, science and research and, and work around around fish, fisheries, but also broader sort of coastal coastal marine systems and, 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 and habitats. And um, I thought was going to want to report about like what directions are we going in in terms of where's, where's research going um, in the coastal environment, particularly around fish and fisheries. And um, it was quite interesting I, w- I, I was a little bit sort of ah oh, I don't know what the word is um not, not quite astounded but it, it was sort of going in directions that I, I, I wasn't really aware of okay and a lot of the the talks and to the main themes were on not about sort of standard things about managing managing fisheries or managing habitats or managing this or that it was around engineering it was really like uh, focused on engineering in what and, sense? Um, in an applied way well in in the sense of how can we um m- m- sort of well, coastal environments are heavily modified. We, we've got to step back and say, hey, we have modified them a lot. Mm. But how can we modify them potentially a little bit 
differently right. uh, in terms of actually to benefit particularly marine life, particularly biodiversity and, and marine systems, um, but particularly around the use of artificial reefs Okay, so and also around the, the use of stock enhancement, which is about putting in, uh, sort of basically breeding up on land or in tanks, certain species and then putting in the juveniles or the babies right. into the marine environment. So it's kind of in some ways... This acknowledgement that we've we've modified things so much already, so then how can we modify them now a little bit more to what we would like? Right. Mm, it was really really interesting. Wow. Yeah, and particularly around the artificial reefs, and certainly there's been um, so artificial reefs are the new black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just okay. To some extent, I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, to, to no extent of, I mean, in some other countries, particularly in in, in Eastern Asia, um, wow, it is artificial reefs are huge, and mm. there was a guy from uh, a company that came out of Korea, and um, just the the amount of money they're putting into basically what they call marine farms, and they're just sort of putting in all these weird and weird and wonderful structures made of concrete and metal and, you know, all sort of massive towers and pyramids and little and down to little blocks and they would seed them with different types of, uh, of, of marine life. You know, little blocks they'd seed with abalone and the big ones that they'd seed with little juveniles of bass and oh, gropers and, and all this sort of... Uh, yeah, it was amazing, mm. amazing stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just, just a, a different approach to I think what is more the norm in this in this country, mm. which is about managing habitats and ecosystems with what we have now, um, rather than trying to or, or sort of we're trying to recreate what we've had in the past, as opposed to sort of that engineering kind of engineering style approach, mm. which was um, which was quite prominent and yeah, it was quite quite fascinating. Um, I find it really interesting that that's where this this is going, rather than saying, "Hang on, we've modified these environments. Maybe we should stop modifying these environments." And and also going in that um, taking a catchment approach to it, saying, "This is what we've done. This is where we're at. The last couple hundred years, we haven't been great in terms of what we've done. So maybe we need to look at how we re-engineer things from a catchment mm. so that we don't have such a big impact on oh, the marine environment." Definitely. And this is being talked about, but it's been talked about and talked about and talked mm. about, and I've been hearing and we've had people on the show talking about stormwater mm. in particular yep. and what needs to happen. And we're talking billions of dollars of investment to to completely yep. re-plumb re and redo what we do in stormwater. That's it. It's, and and it's actually it's really difficult. Too yeah. hard basket for, mm -hmm. for, for management. And it's the same in, in more rural areas where sort of the, there may be a lot of uh, runoff coming from sort of uh, farmland areas and so on to actually reduce some of those uh, loads of whether they be sediment, which might really cause turbidity or nutrients from, from, from low these areas, it's really difficult and it's actually really expensive and it's a, 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 something slow over time. So I think this engineering approach has come to go, all right, well, we do have more uh, to be, you know, do have higher turbidity, more sediment coming down. We do have more nutrients coming down. What, how can we almost engineer that in a direction that is, um, you know, that is positive mm -hmm. for, for us as opposed to actually trying to change the, the route root cause of it which is actually sort of integrated into the system and the way we live mm. unfortunately and yeah it, it's a, di in a different approach i think we should be probably working on both because yeah. certainly these things like artificial reef and stocking there's there's not a lot of evidence to show that they're all that uh you know all that useful in many ways yeah. i mean surely when you've lost habitat and there's no say no reef then putting out sort of um, artificial reefs would probably be a good thing but in areas where you have a lot of reef and um, you know, whether these are actually going to be pr productive in that sort of sense. And also the thing about stock enhancement. I mean, were they actually putting out these little juveniles? Uh, are they just going to get eaten? Are yes. they actually, you know, and how are they going to change the, the the ecology of the system anyway? I've often wondered about that. I've heard about stocking programs more inland than, than yep. um, coastal. But, 
you can only put i mean exactly what you just said are you just putting out another food source mm. rather than actually looking at putting out little you know fry and, and baby fish that are mm. going to turn into big fish you just kind of making more food for the big fish that are already out yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, look, Victoria has a very long history of inland stocking, particularly around trout. And so, you know, basically all, most of our trout are, uh, are restocked. And look, it can work, it depends what you want to get out of it, but it can work really well, potentially if you've got a sort of an artificial waterway where you don't have a breeding fish population, so you restock them and you can create a fishery and, 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 and an ecosystem. You, and then and they go and do their thing. own thing. Yep. But how, how that works then when you have a breeding population, how the supplementation, whether it's effective, we're still working on actually... How, how you answer those kind of questions. Mm. Um, so we don't really know. But in a marine environment, which is something that is being pushed now strongly by uh, a number of recreational fishing groups and also by the government itself, um, and they have... We've done our first marine restocking in Victoria, which was eastern king prawns in Lake Tyers. Ah. And that happened a couple of years ago, I think now. Um, maybe is there a year any, or two, two ago. Any news um, on I that? don't have any results of how that's how that's going. Okay. Because um, it's right on the edge of their range. So right. often they don't make it down there. Right. right because they, yeah, they breed up north and then they come down. And so they thought, well, it does happen naturally. So why don't we sort of put some in. So I'm not really sure how it's going, but they're also thinking about maybe Mulloway, mm. um, putting in Mulloway in these, these sort of systems as well. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of candidates in, in Victoria very clear about... Um, and there was a, a fisherman who was talking um, from Victoria uh, at the conference and he did go through sort of some options and he came out with what actually probably what we need in Victoria more so is, is habitat uh, restocking or habitat restoration rather than the fish themselves because um, in many places we're limited, particularly sort of somewhere like Port Phillip Bay or, or Corner Inlet or Gippsland Lakes. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, just thought I wouldn't bring up that. This, sort yeah. of, this is where the new things are, where we're moving into um, and a lot of it's also uh, much more driven by recreational fishing than it is by commercial fishing. So... Um, uh, that sort of the, a lot of the research around the country is is now driven by recreational fishing. Wow. So there's been this flip of sort of a lot of fisheries agencies are doing most of the work, a lot of the work that they're doing, particularly innovative work, is all around recreational fishing. Which is basically market based, isn't it? And it's an economy based argument for this mm -hmm. um, this work, but this research as well. Mm -hmm. So when you actually go right back and look at what's driving this, is that necessarily a good thing? Um, and, yeah, I mean, and, it depends if you get... And who are we to judge that? But yeah, it's, it's, it depends what your, out, outcomes are, yeah. what your outcomes are. I mean, there's, there's, if, if, if it leads to, to good things and habitat restoration or ecosystem um, functioning will be more productive, then, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good thing. It's, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it depends, it depends how, you, how, you, how you set your objectives, yeah. Yeah, I think. So, yeah, mm. but there's, there's some good stuff out there. Excellent. Mm. Are they still are, um, scientists still studying odoliths? Yeah, there's some good odoliths. I'm glad to hear that. Good ear bone, odoliths, fish ear bone uh, research. Yeah. Don't worry. So if you're wondering worry. what we're talking about, odoliths <laughs> are little ear bones inside fish, and they put rings down on a regular basis, and they're used to age fish. So in the same way that rings around a tree trunk are used to age a tree, mm -hmm. little odoliths. Of course, you need to kill the fish to get the odolith out. But it's a, an interesting way of you can. It's pretty accurate, isn't it, in terms mm. of being able to age how old a fish oh, is? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's told us so much more about fish populations. I mean, if we didn't have odoliths to know how old fish were, we, we simply wouldn't know how many, how we could forecast how many to take. Because mm. if a fish, you know, like an orange ruffy grows to 120, if we didn't know that, uh, then we might be thinking it only grows to 20. So we yep. might be taking them a lot quicker than, you know, taking more of them yep. um, than, than really the population can sustain. That's right. Yeah. Cool.
Yeah. Any more? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I just want to finish off that um, there was a in, in this thing I did talk about a, a month or two ago was about talking about artificial reefs, the Bellarine Marine Farm, oh, which okay. was in the paper. It was in the, the sort of the Bellarine and potentially the Geelong um, advertiser, uh, advertiser uh, back a couple of months ago, and it was it's just sort of an idea. This is sort of no, nothing that's gone through any kind of approval process. Okay. Or anything. But uh, it's around yeah, turning basically what is the kind of Prince George's Bank there for, from so from Port Arlington all the way around. Sort of the, the the Bellarine Peninsula, that sort of shallower area, and putting all these different types of artificial reefs with different sort of you know, and a big um, stocking program all through here, and putting ones on the shoreline and big massive ones in the channels and all this sort of stuff, turning it into this uh, productive marine like they do in Korea. It was fascinating, but I think it's a long way off. Okay. But it's sort of what gives you an idea of like, wow, you know, there are certainly supporters for that here in, yeah. in Victoria. Where does that come from? Do you know? Uh, it comes from the, from the from the company that uh, from Korea, but also I think oh, from, the, okay. from the some members there of, of some of the local sort of um, coastal and foreshore committees who were supportive of it. So, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. very good. Mm. I wonder if Darren Lyons has got behind that one mm. yet. Yeah. Anything <laughs> sure. to promote Geelong and the Bellarine? <laughs> yeah. What have you got there, Brian? You got something? You, you, sea Shepherd, yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I've got a ton of news, but I'm going to keep it brief because I really want to um to get uh, Albert Lee and Scuba for Change and uh, and our other and Lars. Uh, Jorgensen and other guests in. A couple of quick things. Um, yes, Sea Shepherd, big, big news this week. And um, look, this requires a little bit of a backstory. If you listen to the program, you'll know it well. Uh, back in April, uh, this was part of Sea Shepherd's Southern Ocean Defence campaign called Operation Ice Fish. What ended up happening was that there were a bunch of vessels, and one of them was called the Thunder, um, that Sea Shepherd came across doing what's called um, IUU fishing, so illegal, unregulated, unreported fishing, which is kind of colloquially known as poaching. Um, and so they were they were taking um, all sorts of deep sea fish in the Southern Ocean. And uh, then basically the the sea equivalent of a car chase started. (laughs) So Sea Shepherd started chasing the thunder and ended up on the west coast of Africa. And uh, at that point, um, the the skipper and the crew of the thunder um, sank it. And Sea Shepherd maintained from the the very beginning that it was to basically bury the evidence. They Mm -hmm. just wanted to send their ship down and and all the evidence with it. What Sea Shepherd ended up doing was rescuing their crew. There were 40 crew on board um, who suddenly faced a a life-threatening situation, Mm -hmm. so Sea Shepherd rescued them. And um, as the boat was going down, jumped on board, grabbed a whole lot of evidence. And uh, at that point, the, um, the skipper... And chief engineer uh, and second mechanic were detained in uh, Sao Tome and Principe, which are two islands, little islands, tiny Mm -hmm. little islands (laughs) off the west coast of Africa. Uh, So what's happened since then is a six-month legal campaign. So the big announcement that happened on Monday um, was the the verdict. So this was the Supreme Court of Sao Tome and Principe found the three officers of the Thunder guilty of forgery, pollution, damages to the environment and recklessness. Uh, They've all three have been sentenced to between 32 and 36 months jail and fined 15 million euro for charges relating to pollution and damage to the environment. This is massive. Yeah, wow. Absolutely massive in in terms of what this means. It's Mm. also a landmark case. Uh, It's one of the first instances of poaching um, being tried in Sao Tome and Principe as well. 
Because the jurisdiction, I mean, where do you try people for this kind of, it happens in sort of international waters or in sort of, yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, who owns the boat? I mean, they're so, they're so, so intricate in terms of, you know, where the, where, who, who owns the boat, what company was doing the fishing, where the boat was actually flagged, all this sort of stuff that they deliberately do to sort of obfuscate, to sort of create those complexities. So it's really difficult to actually bring these cases um, uh, to, you know, to, to completion like this. And so it's great news. It is. So hats off to Sea Shepherd and congratulations to them and this partnership that they've managed to establish with the officials uh, there as well. And what a great result. Great mm-hmm. result great for result. Um, yeah, great result. Definitely, definitely. Um, really super quickly, and uh, then we're going to play some announcements and get Terry Allen on the phone. The Victorian Coastal Awards for Excellence uh, 2015, the winners were announced at a ceremony during the week. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. I understand the nibbles were good, John. <laughs> it's all about the nibbles. So I'm just going to very briefly mention who the winners were, and we'll go into detail about them um, in the future on a future program. So uh, joint winners for the Natural Environment Award were the Janjuk Coast Action Group and Sea Search Program from Parks Victoria. So congratulations, congratulations. to them. Uh, education Award winner was BirdLife Australia. They do such amazing work, particularly in uh, bringing attention and education around the hooded plover, but all sorts of other um, beach nesting birds as well. So good on them. Uh, and a special commendation to the Point Ritchie uh, Moyagil Project Committee. And I have to confess, I know not a lot about them, so I'm <laughs> going to do some research on them. Um, uh, winners for Planning and Management Award uh, were uh, EPA, for the Victorian Marine Operational Model. Um, Community Engagement Award winners were Friends of Beware Reef, which is great. So congratulations to, uh, to you guys, um, particularly in the work that you've been doing on the uh, on um, uh, Beware Reef Marine Sanctuary and uh, engaging with the local community down there. Uh, winner for Design and Building Award was Frankston City Council for the McCulloch Avenue Boardwalk. Um, Postgraduate Marine Research Award went to Marlene Rodriguez Malagon for work she's been doing with John Arnold uh, on Australasian gannets. And winner for Outstanding Individual Achievement Award. And I love this award. This is, this is oh, God, I shouldn't say favourite, but I do love this one because you learn so much about individuals out there who are doing great things and so often we never hear about them. So this one went to Bob Simmons. He's from Malacuta. And um, since retiring there 25 years ago, he's been doing a whole lot of work with Friends of Malacuta and Malacuta Coast Care. He's known as Bushy Bob. So <laughs> great. just some really wonderful work. So, look, congratulations to the winners, but particularly congratulations to the finalists and the nominees as well because all of you out there just do such wonderful work and um, yeah hats off to all of you and we're going to chase up some of these winners over the next couple of months and probably into next year as well and we are now going to cross to Terry Allen our uh, our very own dive reporter to talk about oh look some of her fancy holidays and also what the dive conditions are like today good morning Terry good morning Bron how are you doing I'm good thank you great you've been off um, you know diving in fancy tropical locations uh, yes, a uh, couple of uh, huge holidays, uh, <laughs> dodging uh, cyclones a little bit, but um, no, it all went well. Um, we went to Bikini Atoll in the middle of the Pacific and uh, pretty amazing uh, wreck diving there. A little, few fish, actually, more fish there than I expected, considering there's been a few uh, atomic bombs dropped there. <laughs> the poor fish are coming back. Um, and then my partner Jeff and I just got back from Vanuatu diving the Coolidge, so... 
Very nice. A little bit warmer here than uh, a little bit warmer there than Melbourne, but Melbourne's warming up as well. So. All good. Fantastic. Um, we're going to have you in studio in a few weeks' time, so I want to talk more about the Coolidge then because that's something I don't know much about. It would be really great to find out about it in more detail. Um, and we also had a caller who rang in a while ago asking about um, dive courses and what an open water certificate involves, getting one. So we'll yeah. get we'll, we'll have a chat about that. That'll be really good. What are the um, conditions like today? Well, it's absolutely beautiful. We're just down here in uh, Blegarry uh, Marina about to get in the water. Um Water temperature now is about 15, 16, so with this uh, unseasonal hot weather, it's uh, really come up quite quickly. Uh, very light southeastly, and it's uh, it's close to a glass off. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah, get on down. I believe also outside, the guys doing wrecks uh, yesterday outside the heads and 15-metre, 20-metre viz. So it's, uh, you know, this crazy weather is, is actually good for diving. And so you're actually you're just doing a little dive in the marina today? Yeah, just in the marina. Uh, we've had uh, 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 fantastic reports. There's an excellent Facebook site called uh, Melbourne Dive Reports and uh, people just, uh, you know, nine, ten species of nudies and, and uh, nice uh, leather jackets and smooth rays. And, yeah, it's a spring bloom. It's um, incredible. Brilliant. Well, when you're in in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about um, open water certificates, which basically gives people their, their licence to go diving and, and then they can start to experience all this stuff for themselves. Yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah. And my big, uh, my big plan for summer is to, um, to get back in the water because it's been a really <laughs> long time. So we're going to have a chat about that too. And what, yeah, and well, what it's I like. Think, I, I think we should try to broadcast underwater. That would be really <laughs> cool. <laughs> that would be great. And I'm sure there are a lot of lapsed divers out there like me who, you know, have dived on and off or dived a lot which is what I used to do and then for various reasons had to kind of stop and haven't gone back. So I'm sure there'll be quite a few people out there who are thinking, yeah, that's me, I'd like to get like to get wet again and um, and we yeah. can have a chat about how, how that can happen because it can be a bit daunting when you haven't been for a while. So Yeah, it can be daunting and unfortunately there's a few buyer beware things to, to look out for that, you know, you get what you pay for. So yep. happy to talk about all that sort of thing. But, I mean, the bay now is, you know, compared to when we first started diving, Bron, you know, without the scallop dredging and all that, it's just amazing how much the fish life and invertebrates uh, just really come back, I think. Oh, sensational. Awesome. It is indeed. Now, back in July, we first learned about the great work being done by Scuba for Change, a unique world-first social enterprise in scuba diving industry. This is where 100% of profits made through scuba-based holiday packages are invested back into local communities in the Philippines. And what this does is drive positive and lasting environmental social legacies through work with the Stairway Foundation. So at the end of our chat uh, with founder and board member from Scuba for Change, Albert Lee, we uh, spoke about Albert keeping in touch with us and um, any develop developments as well and also any news. So we're very delighted now to welcome Albert back into Radio Marinara to talk about some developments and news. Welcome back, Albert. Thanks for having me back. And uh, also uh, very uh, excited and delighted to welcome to Radio Marinara and to Triple R Stairway Foundation uh, founder, Lars Jorgensen. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome. Thank well, you very much. Welcome. Is this your first time in Australia? No, it's not. I, I was actually here for about a year. 
Um, but that's that's about 30 years ago, so um, okay. a while back. Well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> and and so to talk about um, about both of these respective foundations, so um, Scuba for Change and also Stairway, um, talk about the Sea Adventure School as well and uh, an upcoming fundraising event this week um, called Cracked Mirrors, so we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Albert, it's great to have you back. Uh, maybe for listeners who didn't catch a show the first time that you were in in July, maybe just talk us through Scuba for Change and, and how why you set it up. Thanks, Bron. Um, again, thank you for the introduction. I think I uh, couldn't have summarised Scuba for Change better myself. Uh, but basically, we are a social enterprise. Uh, we will reinvest 100% of the profits back into local communities uh, to two end results. First is we will look to partner with um, Stairway Foundation and fund some of the programs that the Stairway guys run to help end expo- child exploitation and promoting children's rights. And secondly, we're here to promote um, and empower local people's rights. I also have to welcome, and this was very um, negligent of me, Greg Foot-Conley, who's actually standing behind you. So I'm just going to bring you in, Greg, and uh, just say good morning and welcome to you as good well. Good morning, Bron. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice to be here. And you're, you're part of Scuba for Change as well, also as a board member? Uh, yes, I was originally just um, helping out as a volunteer with them and then, yeah, has joined the board this year. Great. Talk us through your board, Albert. How many people do you have involved with Scuba for Change? Uh, we've got seven board members. Uh, but interestingly, only three of us are scuba divers. <laughs> and this was intentional because last thing I wanted to create was a scuba diving fraternity. Um, all the board members are very different in terms of the capabilities and skill sets and that all was all done by design. Okay. Uh, do you dive? I'm a dive master, yes, I love you're, you're a dive master. But you're not, not, not in Melbourne. It's too cold for me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get you in sometime when um, Terry Allen, our dive reporter, is in and she can, um, yeah, she's a dive master and instructor too, so she, you guys can compare notes. How about you, Greg? Do you dive? No, I don't, no. Okay, oh, well, we'll, we'll fix that. That's okay. <laughs> um, so Stairway Foundation, Lars. Let's, let's talk about Stairway Foundation. So um, we've covered this in brief, but as a founder, talk us through your involvement as 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 beginning it really where did it all start well it started uh, 25 years ago uh, my wife monica and i we just uh, landed upon the shores of the philippines and uh, fell in love with the beauty of the place and at the same time we were also appalled by the uh, obvious situation of, of kids being exploited and uh, neglected uh, so that was a good cocktail of um, you know the, yeah, the beauty of the place and, and the frustration in seeing what was happening. So we decided to change course and, and uh, see if we could do something. And uh, since then, we've been, you know, very fortunate. We've had uh, come across so many great people, and uh, one of the more recent groups that's uh, School for Change that that we met uh, a couple of years back. And um, you know, it, it's just it's it's amazing because. Um, there seems to be such an amazing uh, synergy between Scoop of Change's ideas and Stairway's ideas. We, we are a child rights-based organisation, so everything we do is, uh, is based on, on, on you know, the idea of, of helping improving conditions uh, of, of, of children. Um, but nevertheless, we, we, uh, we started uh, a couple of years back, or three or four years back, we started uh, a programme that we call for EASY which is an EACY, Environmental Awareness for Children and Youth. And part of that program is our Sea Adventure School. Puerto Galera is an amazing place. It's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And the marine life there is absolutely unique, which is, 
I guess one of the reasons that Scuba Fortunes they decided to plant their their first uh, uh, business there, and um, it's of course very important that we do everything we can to try to to save or to protect the environment there. Uh, for the bigger picture, but of course also for the local population, because their their meals uh, they are quite dependent on uh, on the, the 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 healthy marine life around them, mm. and um, so we we actually built a, a boat and we start run this uh, scuba for change uh, or not <laughs> started to run this uh, sea adventure school, and it's uh, taking out students from the local high schools and having a one day workshop. Uh, on, you know, the various uh, marine habitats and have them understand how it's all interconnected and how it's very much interconnected with their well-being as well. And uh, part of it is that they are out there. For most of them, it's like a first-time experience in snorkeling, despite the fact that they're living right there on the shores. And they're blown away. They're blown away by discovering that this was just outside of their, their, their front door, back mm -hmm. door. And um, they, you know, we, we started the, the Easy Club with the, and we have an increasing number of, of kids uh, signing up for it. And uh, it's out in all the small barrios around Puerto Galera. And uh, now we see young people taking initiative to try to educate the, the older people in the communities on the importance and significance of trying to you know, uh, protect and uh, conserve the environment around them. So we believe that the only way that you can facilitate long-term change is that, you know, we, we, we can't come in as foreigners and, and dictate anything, but we can help to, you know, make the local people there passionate about the, the place that they are so fortunate to be, you know, living in. The marine environment's one of those. It's it's interesting, isn't it? There's a, there's actually a really interesting campaign running at the moment. I think it's in New South Wales, with with Keep Australia Beautiful that they're running, and the images of a child lifting up, basically lifting up, uh, sitting down on the beach and lifting up the sea, and actually looking at what's underneath it. And it's a it's a uh, litter based campaign. So she's lifting it up, and what she's seeing is bits of plastic and rubbish and all this sort of stuff that otherwise you wouldn't see. And I think you've touched on that beautifully. That if you're not out there and seeing it for yourself, what you're actually looking at is just a big piece of blue water. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and the importance of children in seeing the, the wonder and the beauty, but also the problems. And I think sometimes as, um, as, a, as adults, we're a little bit, uh, yeah, we were sort of used to things being not in, a, in, in, in the state that they could be. And so I think it was really important to see, you know, the, the children themselves and then taking that to the adults, taking that to their families and friends and communicating, yeah, wow, we've got a, we've got a really amazing asset here in, in the marine world. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have marine scientists working with you as well um, or marine educators? So um, I was having a look at your website last night and I saw so it's uh, obviously snorkeling, snorkeling and you spoke about that but also working, uh, wading through mangroves and exploring mangroves. Um, and the mangrove ecosystem is something that's quite complex, isn't it, John? And is, do you, are you working with, uh, and also with government too and, and coastal managers in the Philippines? Yeah, we, we, uh, the first um, curriculum we developed was together with uh, a UK-based group called um, ReefWorld, and we worked with them for a while, and uh, now we are working closely with Scuba for Change. So we are having the, the scientific aspect covered as well, 
And uh, yes, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the mangroves, about the seagrass, about the coral reefs, right? the, the, the various habitats that are so, I mean, they're crucial, of course, to the survival of the sea, right? So, mm. uh, and us as well. So. How are you looking at? Are you looking at? Are you looking at potentially expanding this? So, um, I'm sure there will be people listening, thinking, "Wow, it's the sort of thing I would love to do to go out there and volunteer some time, and support." Is that an option for people who are listening? Absolutely, it is. Um, I mean, I would suggest that they would connect through Scuba for Change because we are we are very closely connected, and you know we are basically having a daily contact now with the, with the centre being right in front of Stairway. So people who would come out and and work with Scuba for Change or come out uh, volunteer work with Stairway will be almost automatically connected with both organisations. Mm. So. And we are in mid-conversation with uh, Lars Jorgensen from Stairway Foundation and uh, Albert Lee and Greg Foot Conley from Scuba for Change. And where we just left off, we were uh, looking at the connection between Scuba for Change and Stairway as well and about to ask you, uh, Albert, about that connection and some of the programs that you're running. Yeah, so in uh, April in 2016, we'll be running our second Change for Children event. Um, so it was following from a big success we had enjoyed this year. But in 2016, we're going to make it a bit more scuba diving heavy. Uh, we'll invite dive masters and instructors to come along to work with the kids under the care of Stairway Foundation and give them the opportunity to either try dives or discover scuba dive, or for the kids who are more uh, in tune with scuba diving, open water and advanced open water certification. And, you know, if, if any of your listeners can't make that time frame, you know, we we'll always have a, a dive against debris type programs running all year round. So uh, always welcome volunteers to come over. So dive against debris? So Tell us about that. So this is a program, actually, it's promoted by one of the uh, dive accreditation agencies, PADI, uh, but we run it because we believe in it. In fact, it's not uncommon for our dive groups to go out there and clean up the reef, our house reef, uh, and we always come up with bags of rubbish, even though our house reef is pretty pristine, uh, but we do try and clean up the reefs around Port Aguilera. Mm. What kinds of debris are you finding out there? All kinds, okay. bottles, tyres, and you know, just human you know, human impacts, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we've had our bay keeper for Port Phillip Bay, Neil Blake, on the program a few times, and Neil's coming in in a few weeks' time, but he runs... Uh, trips around Port Phillip Bay just to bring to attention um, for people just the sort of stuff that you would never expect to see. So some of it's kind of standard. You sort of become accustomed to seeing certain types of litter washing up on the beaches. All kinds of stuff out there. Um, cigarette butts is, is a common um, offender, but um, things like straws, balloons is a big one here. I'm, I'm guessing maybe not so much in the Philippines, but balloons released at public events. They come down eventually and, you know, more often than not find their way through the stormwater system and, and they're an absolute menace. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to... You said tyres. Yeah. Tyres, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure how they end up in the, in the, in the ocean, but uh, we, find, we find them. Okay, yeah. Yeah. wow. Um, so, yeah, in a bit more detail for your event happening in April, um, if people want to kind of find out more information, we've got a couple of minutes left, um, a quick snapshot, and, and, uh, and then we must talk about crack mirrors as well. Sure. So um, anyone who is interested in participating, just email me on info at scubaforchange.com and basically um, you'll be... You know, given you have have police, police uh, clearance, but uh, once you get that, we can work with you and work out how you can participate in our in our program. Fantastic, and really drawing those connections between the environment and and the kids 
in this particular area mm. as well. Let's talk about crack mirrors because that's it, I've just all I know about it is what I read on, online last night. It's a bit confronting, but we need to talk about it and something that's taking place in Melbourne this week. So I'll throw this one to you, Lars. Yeah, it's uh, crack mirrors is a is a part of a, a campaign that we're running that we call Break the Silence, and it's uh, it's the silence around uh, child sexual abuse exploitation. Uh, it's an issue that Stairway has been focusing on for the past 15 years and um, uh, we decided to do that because we found that not enough were doing it and uh, that there was a lot of work to be done. So we get our experiences uh, from working directly with a group of kids and uh, we realised that um, child sexual abuse exploitation is not something that only happens to a few, it happens to a lot. And sad to say, you know, it, uh, yes, we are here to, to hopefully uh, raise some funds to run our programs, uh, but we are actually most of all here also to create more awareness uh, on the issue of child sexual abuse and exploitation. We have been touring with this in, in several countries in quite a bit in Europe as well, and um, we have had uh, feedback from audiences uh, in all places and... It, um, it's a very strong performance and uh, it, it uh, really nails down the, the realities of, of a lot of children and of course mainly children living in uh, the developing world uh, because of the, the poverty is a driver for sexual abuse of children. It, it opens a door for, for abuse and uh, we would, well the only, the only way we can, we can make it harder for the perpetrators is to create awareness so we all understand that this unbelievable crime is actually happening. Mm. So uh, this is a play that has been written by your partner, Monica. Yes. And it's uh, it's called Crack Mirrors. It's been shown in Europe and Asia uh, and uh, it's also it's received some amazing reviews, including by UNICEF as well. Uh, and just a quote here, this production represents a breakthrough in efforts to educate the public about the largely hidden problem of child sexual abuse. So I'm just going to give a, a plug here because we're just about out of time. So this is Crack Mirrors. It's actually, there are three performances performances this week yeah. at um, Star of the Sea College in uh, Martin Street. It says Martin Street, Melbourne, but it's in Gardenvale. So um, in uh, so Star of the Sea, they have a performance hall yeah. there? Yeah, that's correct. We're in their auditorium. Okay. And uh, $15 for general admission. Can you just get tickets at the door? Um, you can get tickets at the door. We prefer you to go, if you can, to trybooking.com and follow by tickets. But we've also got a performance tomorrow night in Parkdale at the Shirley Burke Hall. Fantastic. We'll grab those details and put them on our Facebook page and on our website as well. So um, performances Wednesday, Thursday and Friday from 7.30 till 9 at Star of the Sea in Gardenvale. Thank you so much, Albert, for coming in again, Albert Lee. Thank you, uh, Greg. Pleasure. It's been great having you here. Thanks, Albert. Sorry I didn't give you an opportunity thank you. to reply. Thank and thank you so much, Lars. Thank you for, for being here. For, for the work that you and Monica do. And um, just congratulations to you all on this wonderful enterprise and really looking forward to, um, to hearing progress and how this develops in years to come. Thank you, guys. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you, Bron. It's been a big show. Sure has. And thank you, Kent. Yes. Thanks so much, Kent. Um, next week, Brian Scary. I mentioned this would be uh, an interview um, to air this week. It's actually going to be next week. So, Brian Scary, National Geographic photographer. Spoke with him on Friday, so I'll be bringing that interview to you next week. Dr Surf, Dr Beecher in the house as well. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy, and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors.
This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.